Well, thank you, Pastor Allen. You know, a preacher is going to preach, y'all. So even in an introduction, we have three alliterated points. Masterful. <laughs> Guys, have you ever had to wait for something? I mean, of course we all have, right? What does it feel like? Do you have a difficulty waiting? You know, I was just talking with some friends last night. Jody and I were talking with some friends last night, talking about the time between when we started dating and when we got married. You know, we had an original wedding date that was about seven months before the day we actually got married. And I still remember sitting in that parking garage at the Avenues Mall on a date, not being the one to want to bring it up, and she wasn't either. Like, we are not ready for this. You know, Dave, you are a part-time jazz trumpet player. Something, <laughs> something's going to have to get a little better before it's tacked on seven months to the wait. And it just seemed like this is going to last forever, right? And you think about it, you're talking about thousands of more hours, right? But now when you look back, we've been married 20 years as of last September. It's like you can barely just have little images of that time. It's, it's, it doesn't feel like it took forever, right? So when we are waiting for something, you know, I want to talk about today waiting well from James 5, 7 through 12. So if you guys aren't already there, please open up to James 5, 7 through 12, and I will read our text for us. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another. Brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Waiting well. So our text in a nutshell is this. James encourages us to be patient even in times of trial. So what is our hope? What keeps us going and helps us to be patient? We know that our Savior is coming back to make all things right. So be kind to one another while you wait for him and follow the example of the saints that came before us and simply be faithful. So we're going to have four points that we'll go through today, and these are the points. One is be patient. Two is farmers are patient. Three is have patience. And four is prophets we're patient. So let's start together in our first verse. So this is the, just the first half of, of verse 7, and the first point is be patient. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Okay, first off, I want to give a tip of the hat to the old school and say, when we see a therefore, we want to ask ourselves what it's doing there. Actually, therefore, that's actually a better answer. Good job. So, therefore, in light of this truth, James has just warned the rich. So, on my last sermon about two months ago, in the same, in the same string of passages, he's warning unbelieving rich for the way that they oppress the, the Christians, the believers who have been dispersed, who are no longer able to be connected with the church body, right? And he, even with the strength of an Old Testament prophet, pronounces judgment. There is just judgment coming for you. And, and 
And so the believers are getting to, to listen in on this. It's got to be very encouraging because they are the ones incurring this, this oppression, incurring this mistreatment. And as they're reading this letter from James, he says, yeah, look, judgment is coming, right? Be faithful. Just keep your eyes on the Lord. He says, you have so much to these people. He says, you have so much wealth that it's rotting and you're still holding back wages from workers. He warns that judgment is coming that the cries of those that are hurting have reached the ears of the Lord, and they're heaping judgment upon themselves at a time when judgment could literally come at any moment. So having brought this warning to all uh, with that feel of an Old Testament prophet, he tells the believers, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Be patient in suffering. Be patient in times of trial. So patience can be described like this. The capacity to accept or tolerate, delay trouble or suffering without getting angry or upset. Right? Think about that for a moment. To be able to tolerate and live through and be okay and even thrive in times of delay, trouble, suffering without getting angry or upset. And that's what we're being called to in the midst of our lives, in the midst of times of waiting. So has anyone here ever had trouble being patient? Okay. All right, apparently no one. All right. I have, so I'm just going to own it. Uh, you know, but, you know, I think it's important here is, first off, he doesn't call them to rise up, right? Things are not going, they're not being treated well. They are in times of difficulty, but he doesn't call them to rise up. He doesn't call them to stand up for themselves. He doesn't call them to demand vindication, but to wait on the Lord. The answer to your problem is not that the problem get fixed. The answer to your problem is to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. He himself is the answer, not what he brings to the table, but he himself. And so this is a major concept that's one I extract from this verse, is, is this, that the joy of our faith is Jesus Christ himself. Okay? Not vindication for vindication's sake, not even heaven although heaven is going to be wonderful. It takes no miracle to want to go to heaven. It takes no miracle to not want hell. It takes no miracle for those things. What it takes a miracle for is to understand that you're a sinner without hope and that you must turn from your sin and trust in the death of Jesus on the cross in your place in his glorious resurrection, to follow him and for him to save you and to be the Lord of your life. That takes a miracle, right? And so what we want to look forward to is the fact that we get to be with him forever and see him as he is. So our greatest comfort is not that pain and hurt and sadness will one day be over, although it will. It's in the return of Jesus. Old Testament, I mean, early church saints, that's how they would encourage one another. Jesus is coming back, right? And so, yes, we're being encouraged that the trouble will end but when? When we're with Jesus, he is the thing, uh, the person that we are waiting for. So let us never be more excited about the gifts than we are about the giver himself. And so you see, the call to be patient is not open-ended. It says, be patient until what? The coming of the Lord. So he's not calling you to endure forever. If you're going through something that is difficult in your life, it's really hard, wouldn't you say, if you're going through a difficulty and you don't even know when this is going to end? Maybe if you are in a hard season at work and you know, okay, first of the month is going to slow down. It kind of helps you get along, doesn't it, right? If you have no idea when this is going to end, it's just exhausting, right? And James knows this. He says, no, 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 be patient, endure, be steadfast, immovable, 
Do so until the coming of the Lord. Your Lord is returning. This is not an open-ended suffering that you're going through. This is a time that will end in the best possible way when Jesus returns. So our second point is this. Farmers are patient. So it says in the second half of verse 7 and verse 8, See how the farmer awaits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at a hand. Have you ever noticed that the meaning of a long time tends to change as you get older, as you mature, right? People used to tell me when I was younger, they say, just wait, when you get older, time just goes faster. I say, this is mathematically impossible, Right? I mean, can anyone affirm that this is just true, right? It's like you used to think in terms of hours and then in terms of days, but it just seems like it's Sunday, it's Sunday, it's Sunday. It's the first of the next month, right? The time just goes faster as you get older. And, you know, you think about when you talk to a kid, right? You say, when do I get to have ice cream? 30 minutes, like 30 minutes? Are you, you understand what you're asking? Or when can we go to the park? Tomorrow. What? Like, that is literally forever. Don't you love how kids say literally, just like, just very authoritatively? That is literally forever, right? And you're thinking to yourself, 30 minutes? I mean, I got seven things I need to get done. I hope that's enough time before I have to go get the ice cream, right? We just have, we look at time in such a different way. So for us, if someone says, hey, something's been delayed by 30 minutes, you're like, oh, that's good. I need to check some emails. Anyway, we're going to be fine. It's not a big deal. Something's happening tomorrow? I mean, that's fine, right? And I have a theory on why time uh, seems to go faster the older we get. I think it's because it's a smaller and smaller percentage of our overall life that we spent on the planet. For instance, if you're five years old, three months is 5% of your life. So if you have to wait three months for something, I mean, that's a pretty massive thing to ask, right? If you're 50 years old, three months is half of 1%, right? And so I think it's important that we understand that. But why am I saying all of this? Because the Lord lives in light of eternity, right? He's not talking about a lifespan of five years or 40 years or 80 years, and let's compare what's going on in your life. We would think to ourselves, Lord, how long is this going to take? How long am I going to go through this trouble in my life? This is taking, like the child would say, forever, right? And he says, let me tell you about forever. This is, I know all about forever. This is not slow. This is exactly the amount of time it's going to require to make you more like my son, Jesus Christ, right? For him, a day is like a thousand years and vice versa. For God, everything, I mean, I don't know if this is correct mathematically. You can correct me afterwards if you want. For God, everything is zero percent of his existence. I think that's right. He's infinite, right? So just as a child boxed at a 15-minute wait, we have a deeper understanding of patience. The Lord sees the timeline of our trials very differently. But I want to encourage you in this. Just like the psalmist in Psalm 13, it's not wrong to ask, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He understands our frame. He understands. He knows that we are dust. He knows that we struggle. And we know the time feels a lot different to us than it does to him. And he loves us in the midst of it. Right? So it's okay to follow the example of this psalm and to say, Lord, when, when is this going to end? When this trial will be over? I've been praying for weeks, for months, for years. But 
That same psalm ends with patient faith that endures. It says this in verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. But no, it's not even an ability to endure longer and longer waits um, that we should be trying to pursue. So we're not just trying to get patient for longer and longer amounts of time, right? We're not just trying to get stamina for our patients. Even more so, the Lord is teaching us to truly live while we wait. I originally wrote right there for this big point, he's teaching us how to be okay while we wait. But I don't believe that's the point at all. I believe he's teaching us, Jesus said that I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Right? And he didn't say, I've come that you might have life and that I may provide things to you so you'll live abundantly. Right? He himself is the answer to that question. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. It's Christ himself. It's not the things. People misuse that verse so much as if he wants us to have all of these things. Not necessarily. Why would we say, so when I was a kid, my dad retired from the Air Force when I was probably seven years old. And we were living in North Dakota at the time, and my mom, who was from India, could not deal with the snow. She was like, can't do it. How much more time to retire? Seven months. So we all moved down to Houston, Texas to be near her family, her mom, her brother, and some cousins and whatnot. It felt like an eternity to my dad, and he would only come to visit. You know, he had to drive. He wasn't ever flying. He'd drive in his big old van from North Dakota to Houston, Texas, back and forth, right? I just remember just longing to just be in the room with my dad, right? And one Christmas he came. I still remember. He gave me like this Dinobot, which was a, a transformer. It was like a pterodactyl. It was awesome. And a $20 bill, right? And I was excited Obviously, I still remember, right? But it in no way put a dent in the fact or overshadowed the fact that my dad was there, right? We never want to look more to the gifts and the giver. He came, and now my life was more abundant. I was finally having joy because he was here, not because he gave me stuff, right? So when, when the Lord comes and says, hey, I'm here. I'm here to give you life and life abundantly. We say, well, what did you bring me? <laughs> no, I'm here. I'm here. The life, the joy is in Christ himself. And however he chooses to bless us in any other way in life is up to him. And we trust him regardless. Amen? Amen. Amen. So 7b, it says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You know, I think it's interesting. You know, I've never dealt with much farming at all, but there, there are no guarantees in farming, Right? There are best practices, general principles, but no matter what you do when you plant a crop, you can't force anything to grow, right? There is nothing, you, and when it finally comes to the end of the day, I've done everything I can, grow. You can't do it. It's in the hands of the Lord. Talk about if you can't deal with open loops, there's going to be a problem in your life if you're a farmer, right? If you're unaware of what an open loop is, if there's an idea that comes to mind, right? Something that, oh, I need to get this done by next Thursday. Some people, I've heard, um, can't even relax if, if that's not done, right? You know, I'm just going to do it now. I'm not going to pace myself. If I don't just bust it out, I'm going to forget. I'm not going to be able to sleep, whatever, right? But this Built into the life of a farmer is the ability to have to live well in light of these open loops because you plant this crop in the fall, 
what James calls the early rains, the time of the early rains. It doesn't come to the late rains, which is in the spring, right? Mid-spring, almost to the summer. And this is half of your year that you're waiting. And so if you're just sitting around wringing your hands, like what's going to happen, you're going to waste literally half of your adult life, right? So you just have to be okay. You still have a wife, you still got kids, you have other obligations. And so there's a maturity that is built in with this way of life that just comes to the job. And so James tells the believers, watch how they wait. Look at how they wait. The end goal is always in sight. The crop's coming, and I'm going to be ready when it does. I know what I'm going to do with it. I know who I'm going to sell to, but um, they have a lot to do while they wait, right? They're still weeding the garden. They're still caring for the animals. They're still doing the finances. They're still living their life. They're going to church. They're having hobbies. They're raising their kids, whatever it is, right? So they are waiting well, not simply being okay, not simply existing and kicking the can down the road until the crop comes, but living and redeeming the time, right? Because the Lord has given each day as a precious gift. You see, waiting well is not passive. It's quite active. And waiting well involves living with true peace and purpose. And I want you to consider this for a minute, church. I mean, this is so rampant in our hearts, just as people, right? We spend our whole lives waiting for something to happen, right? I can't wait to get my driver's license. I can't wait to have a home of my own. I can't wait to be married. I can't wait to have more money. I can't wait till the kids are are out of diapers. I can't wait till this trial in my life is over, until I finally finish this degree, until my cancer is cured, till my child comes to Christ, till I'm not sad anymore, and then then I can finally have peace. But until then, I'm just waiting. I'm just trying to be okay. I'm just trying to get through the next day. But how many of these things that you waited for in your life that I just mentioned have happened, right? I can't wait to be married. Many of us are. Can't wait to have a home. Can't wait till the kids are out of diapers. A trial that you were in is now over, right? The Lord did bring about a cure for some disease that you had. Whatever it is, your child did get saved, but now it's just the next thing. I said I was going to be okay, but I'm not because I still want this. I need the next thing now. We waste our lives in this discontent place of waiting. And that's the majority of our lives is just flying by while we're just waiting for the good stuff to start, right? Living a patient Christian life is not about sitting around just longing for things to be better. It's about loving and serving and worshiping a God who already lives inside of us. It's about loving others in his name, waiting well, making the best use of the time until the Lord returns. So patience is not about waiting, it's about living. I want to say that again. So patience is not about waiting, it's about living. Most of your life goes by waiting for the big moments, but a life of worship before the Lord is lived out day by day and hour by hour. Think about waiting in the waiting room at the dentist's office, right? So when you go, you have options of how you're going to use your time. So you sit there, you could nowadays obviously bust out your phone and just waste time. Someone tells you, we don't know how long this is going to be, your appointment is exactly right now, but you know you're not coming in right now. So we all know that. So you're just going to sit there and wait, right? And you're scrolling through your phone, just kind of biding time, just waiting. Or, you know, you can kind of straighten up the magazines, encourage the guy next to you, make him laugh, whatever, hide the watchtower, you know, that's there. Whatever it is, put the Gideon Bible in a prominent place. You can wait well, right? Where you're not wasting 
time, right? So you could use that time well. So verse 8 goes on to say, so just as a farmer waits, we wait for the Lord. And it says that we should establish our hearts. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So to establish your heart, that word there is, has the idea of having a strong foundation, of having a, having a solid base, okay? So to get ready, to get in position for what might be coming next in your life. Like a wrestler, right? Like a wrestler would have to have a good base so you can't get knocked over, right? Oh, let me actually make it even better. A superior grappler who maybe does jujitsu would do. Um, was that out loud? We, should, we seek to have a strong base, right? So you're using your feet at the center of gravity in such a way that it's hard to knock you over. Establishing your heart makes you literally the opposite of being a pushover, Right? So someone cannot push you over. James says, establish your heart. Get it ready. Saturate it in the word. Trust the Lord. Get your mind where it should be. Stop just waiting for the next thing, the next thing in your life that you think is going to fix everything and make your life perfect. And instead, look to the one who is perfect. Right? Just stop waiting for random things. This is the idea James is portraying here. But for our hearts, position yourself to win. Accept the battles that come in your life because they're going to because this is a fallen world and stuff is going to break and people are going to be mean and jobs are going to be lost and injuries are going to happen. Accept those things with patient living and waiting and expectancy towards the Lord. Be ready for the battle because the battle is coming. All right, our third point is this. Have patience, says in verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And so, you know, we, James has warned us before, and we covered in an earlier message, the importance of speaking with care. So I, 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 I think there's a difference between be patient and having patience, which is why I gave it two different names for these, for these two different points. Having patience, living in such a way where it's, it's evident, right? In your speech, in your expressions, in the way you treat one another. James has already given us a strong warning about how we use our tongue. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we understand that following Jesus isn't always easy. And he's, James is writing to people who are facing many trials. But he's like, while you're being patient with each other, just be nice to each other. Don't take it out on one another. Do we understand within the body of Christ, we're all on the same team? Right? So he's saying, guys, like you guys have each other, right? To point each other to Jesus Christ, to encourage one another, to share the gifts that you've been individually given with one another so you can wait well in the midst of your difficulty. So don't be unkind. And while we stand to the side and shout amen in our previous passage about the, uh, the, the rich oppressors being, you know, being, being judged by the Lord as they are oppressing these Christians, uh, we, we say, amen, God's going to judge them. But we're reminded here in this, same, in this same passage, it says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Like, watch your mouth. Don't be mean to one another. Be kind to one another. The judge is standing at the door. You know, we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's no condemnation to him. Right? We're righteous in the sight of the Father because of the finished work of the Son sealed in our hearts, carried along by the Holy Spirit. But we're going to answer for the way we live our lives. James reminds us, don't be flippant about your standing with the Lord. Right? Don't take your justification for granted. Be kind and patient and loving with one another as you encourage one another in the fight. Our fourth point is this. Prophets were patient. Verse 10 and 11, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, 
Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So he, we have the example of the farmer, and so now we have the example of the prophets and of Job, of believers, of saints that came before us. Here James points out the patience that many people of God showed um, before us. You know, it's, it's kind of easy to be patient in good times, right? The older you get, things are good. You know, my life is pretty good right now. I'm fine. So I'm waiting for this thing in the future. But until then, I think I'm all right. It's when things get hard that it can be so much more difficult to be patient. You know, in, the, uh, in Hebrews 11, which is like the hall of fame of people with faith, right? Um, it, this is mentioned by the, by the writer of Hebrews. Regarding prophets, it says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. I think we've become very spoiled as believers in America. We've come to believe that we're entitled to the freedom that we have to follow Jesus and to worship him openly. Sometimes it feels like there are Christians who may be more concerned with their right to follow Jesus than in actually following Jesus. This is not the norm, what we enjoy today. Us in this room, openly proclaiming the word of God, singing the glory of Jesus Christ, this is a gift that most believers to ever walk the face of the planet would do anything to have. So when I was in Poland, you know, a couple months ago now, we had a, young, uh, uh, a person come from China who was a missionary and has to be, uh, remain anonymous. Um, but this person came from China and uh, our host church, two, two Sundays in a row, we went and worshiped together. And I remember one of our Bible times that we had, one of our devotional prayer times for ministry that we had, this person just mentioned how I just... She was crying. This person was crying, and she said, um, I just wish that me and my believing friends in China could gather like this. Do you understand what you have, right? She said, I'm here with my brothers and sisters from America, from Poland, uh, from Croatia, all on this same team. We're worshiping together. She said, these people are flashing through my mind that we have to, we have to come together, you know, um, secretly. You know, one time she mentioned that um, they decided to have a Bible study. And seven of them met inside a home. And within a few minutes, they look outside, there were 40 police officers. Because all seven phones were being tracked, they saw the seven phones come to the same location and said, all right, well, we know what you're doing in there. And the story gets worse and worse from that point. We take for granted the freedom that we have. And any hint of taking away those legal freedoms, we kind of freak out and become kind of unchristian in those times, right? follow Jesus. He's the goal. He's the prize. Those are my four points, but I would like to say this. There is bonus material, okay? So it's kind of like extended director cut features, you know, because 
verse 12, people are in discussion about, okay, is this capping off the previous section? Is it transitional to take us to the closing of the letter? I think, I I feel like it kind of stands alone. And so I just have a couple of devotional points to make on this final verse. So it says this in verse 12. It says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So I see this as a transition, and I think it stands on its own. And here's just a couple of thoughts to take away. We can tend to invoke the name of the Lord rather lightly. And I think this is the warning that James is giving us, right? People will say, well, with God is my witness, just kind of throw that out there. You know who you're talking about when you say that? With God is my witness. Or what someone would say, you know, that they swear to God about something, right? You know, we're not being prohibited from making oaths, but by doing so lightly... And why is it that we think that we have to enhance the things we're saying with those kinds of words? Shouldn't your reputation amongst the community be such that people expect that you're telling the truth? Shouldn't it be that when someone talks to you, you don't have to add the little words in there, you know, with God as my witness? I swear. You know, so my mom, when I was growing up, was very superstitious, right? And so she would always say, if she thought you were lying, she would say, swear on me. And what that meant was, she would tell us, she said, if, if you swear on me and you're lying, I will die. So, oh, this is terrible. Like, this is completely terrible, right? So, like, say I ate a cookie, right? She'd say, did you eat the cookie? Oh, I didn't eat the cookie. What are you talking about? Swear on me. Well, I'm not trying to kill anyone. I'm, I just was trying to eat a cookie, right? But, so that is the example of using an oath incorrectly, right? But yes, sometimes we have to give our word in a way because there's a lot at stake or whatever. We're not being prohibited from any of that. God makes oaths in the, in the scriptures as well. Just saying, don't take this lightly, right? I'm a truthful person, but what I'm about to say is even truer, right? So buckle up, right? That's what we're implying, right? And this will protect you, it closes by saying, by, 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 it will te- protect you from ruining your reputation, None will have anything with which to condemn you if you're simply a person of your word. And so that's the transitional piece there. But just by way of reminder, be patient. Farmers are patient. Have patience. Prophets were patient. But I want to just be sure to clearly state the reason that we are standing here today, that Jesus Christ came and lived among sinful people, you and I. He lived among people that deserve, each one of us deserve, uh, rightly deserve, uh, death and an eternity apart from him in a very real place called hell. But Christ came, lived a perfect life that we could never live. He died a death on the cross that you and I justly deserve to die in our place. But he rose again three days later, conquering sin and death and the grave. And he says, come to me, turn from your sin, repent of your sin and follow me and I will give you a new heart. Take you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Christ. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we thank you that you allow us to freely proclaim your word. What a joy that is. Help us to never take it for granted. Lord, and as we wait in this life for the things that we hope to happen or or wait and worry for the things that we hope won't, help us to not miss the countless moments that go by in the mundane times with our families, with our friends, at our jobs, opportunities to redeem the time, to honor you, to love you with our whole hearts, Lord. I pray that you would give us the strength to do so for the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. We all said, Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand together and we'll sing in response.